Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world. Learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, this is Matt Tebby. I'm joined by my collaborator, co-conspirator, uh, Ben Hardman. Hey, guys. From Atlanta. And we are uh, having a conversation today, something that I've become increasingly aware of. Hardman, and I know that this resonates with you. As we lead our cohorts in gravity leadership, as we listen to the emerging conversation that's happening really across North America, but even uh, transcontinentally, intergalactically, if you will. Wow. Yes. Right? There's this emerging sense that God is better than we think he is, and that if we can get clear about who God is, it will change everything about our ethics, about our spirituality, uh, about our uh, marriages, our relationships to our pets. It'll change everything. <laughs> I'm not sure that my relationship with my pets is redeemable, but yeah. I am all for a good God. Today, today's the day of salvation, Ben Harmon. No <laughs> salvation as- will come. There's no to aspect the to your life. <laughs> 
And wow. so anyway, we uh, we have uh, we wanted to invite our, one of our friends on to the podcast. His name is Luke Norsworthy. Luke, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate you guys having me. All I know about you, Luke, is that you uh, used to be an executive at Enron there in Texas. Could you? Yes. Right. Is that true? <laughs> yes, one hundred percent true. I actually got out just before it went bad, and so right now, I am. What I'm actually, I'm fracking in my backyard, um, <laughs> and I'm doing everything I can just to take money away from teachers. I'm trying to steal their retirements right now, okay. uh, along with the fracking. Yeah, yeah, you're. But I'll finish that after this podcast. You're full on Texas. We we want to let you get back to your important work, but uh, we want to welcome you to the podcast, uh, Luke. Introduce yourself. Tell us what you do. Uh, and Can you tell I, them what's on the, what's on my hat right now. Speaking of Texas, it says Texas. It says Texas. We don't it's a give Texas flag. We don't give a frack. Yes, Is that's that exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, that's basically what it says. Yeah, I, I do live in Texas. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, the capital and the best city in Texas, in the best state in the country. So I'm basically living in the apex of the human existence right now, Austin, Texas. Um, most importantly, I have three daughters, one of whom has graciously let me use her bedroom this morning for this podcast. Because I'm not in my office, but like I said, I'm at home fracking in the backyard, stealing retirements yes. from teachers. Yes. Um, and when I'm not doing my best to destroy America <laughs> and the world through my selfish endeavors, my actual real job is I serve a congregation here as a senior minister pastor. Yeah, great. And you also uh, podcast. Uh, yes, I have a podcast I've been doing for a little while uh, called Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Yeah, and there's a story there, right? Yeah, there's a story. Uh, back in my younger days, my high school football coach used to come up and tell me, Luke, if you keep working the legs, son, you'll be newsworthy, newsworthy. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I never really became newsworthy in a football sense, but I did get a title of a podcast yes. or four podcasts out of it. So I'm not complaining. Yes. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, really appreciate you being here. And uh, we want to have a conversation. Uh, you've recently wrote a book called God Over Good. Uh, and it really is a book about how if we get God wrong, everything goes to crap. Uh, and you kind of tell your story as a pastor, as a Christian, about how you came to realize... By the way, that was actually, that was actually the other subtitle. Yeah. Did they if shoot- you get God wrong, everything goes to crap. And that ba- was the other subtitle we Baker wanted, didn't like but it. I couldn't get it through no. They didn't make the editor didn't go for it. <laughs> yeah, ba- Baker didn't like that one. You can publish your next book, <laughs> The Gravity. We'll do whatever you want. Uh, no, so tell us a little bit, Luke. I- Fra- fracking your way to salvation? Can I do that book? Uh, yeah, we could talk about. I mean, that'll sell big in Texas, which is a good market. So we're all exactly we're all, all right. right. In. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about. Uh, if- tell us about a little. I mean, I think Hardman and I can relate to this, and I know a lot of our listeners can too. Like, tell us about being a professional Christian, getting paid to follow Jesus. And realizing that you're losing the faith you used to have. Yeah, it's not a very fun feeling. In uh, in many senses of the word, it's it's terrifying because not only is the thing that's supposed to hold your life together and give identity and direction and be that north star for you to orient yourself to, not only is that disappearing, but also the ability that you have. professional Christians experience when they go through this 
uh, you know, deconstruction or faith crisis, whatever you want to call it. And for me, it was, it was unsettling because I thought, okay, this is, this is who I am. I've got it figured out. I've got, I've got faith kind of, uh, going in the right direction. And then it just stopped working. It just didn't line up. And I tell a story in the book about, uh, being in a worship service. I literally a good friend. He's a great dad. Anytime I reach out to him, he makes time for me. If he became all powerful, I know in an instant he would remove all suffering from the world. But but that's not what I what I experience with God. That there's plenty of suffering, and that often what I experience is mystery, not you know this direct audible voice from God. And not to mention struggles with church and the Bible and all these other things. And it it became a really perplexing moment for me. Yeah. So you've you. Uh, very much my story aligns with my story, Luke. Like, I just trusted God is in control. God's got this. And anything that happens is something he's planned and ultimately will sort of bring him glory, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you stare evil or suffering or pain in the face, and it, it calls into question God's character. Yeah. How, why, did those, why did that simple answer of this must be for God's glory, why did that ultimately stop working for you? Yeah, I had my Calvinism phase was a little bit shorter than yours. It was like a, a weekend when I read like one <laughs> Jonathan Edwards book. Uh, long story short, I used to uh, preach at a thing where the guy before me was Matt Chandler, who is oh yeah uh, very prominent Calvinist person. And uh, so I read a few books because of him and I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work for me. M- much respect to you, Matt. I like you as a person, but I'm not going to read all the books you're, you're referencing. Uh, but even with a non-Calvinist view, just because you say that God didn't preordain or, or cause adversity doesn't take God off the hook. There, there still is adversity and still God is involved to, to remove those. And, you know, a lot of people who are a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me have talked about you know, the, the question of suffering being the central question. Yeah. And one of the things that I, that I noticed in my podcast, as I was categorizing podcasts, which I did a whole lot more diligently early in the podcast, is the theme uh, or the topic of suffering kept coming up over and over again. Because how you make sense of God being good and God being loving, but the world being anything but good and loving sometimes, it is a question that everyone's got to wrestle with. Yes. And not too long ago, I was in uh, Israel and I went to Yad Vashem, which is the Jewish Holocaust Museum. Oh, yeah. And it was overwhelming. It was just terrifying. And to think that, like me thinking of suffering in a more intellectual way, I mean, I, I, I've experienced adversity, but compared to that, all that I've experienced is really an intellectual thing of suffering. Uh, you get the moment where you go, like that person who yeah, who asks, um, uh, who was it that was asked the question, um, where is God? And uh, uh, was it, I forget who it was, but the response was, or Ilya Wiesel, that's who, someone mm-hmm. said, where, where, where is your God now? And Wiesel's response is, God is on the gallows. Yes. Uh, until you have like that sort of question where good news has to be good in every circumstance and situation then it's not really good. I, I think that's really at the heart of this. Yes. So if your God isn't robust enough to to meet you in all of reality, then that yeah. God isn't real enough to be the God revealed in Jesus. 
Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think, Hartman, this comports with our story. Like, Absolutely. Gravity leadership, like Hartman and I wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for pain. Suffering. The pain we cause each other. The pain we inflict on each other in our friendship. I'm yeah. a sanctifying agent in your life, Hardman. No, like, Hardman, can no, you relate to the journey that we've walked through where we've both experienced the same kind of disorientation, um, but also have experienced the pain of ministry uh, and yeah. the pain of trying to trying to discern uh, how do we love well and serve well and lead well when uh, when everything around us doesn't seem like it's going well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's a unique there's a unique kind of pain that comes in church because it's kind of pain that you don't expect to ever happen. This is, yeah, this is, this is the hospital. We shouldn't get injured here. Exactly. But the worst comment anyone's ever said to me happened in the context of church where I I had someone who I thought was a a close friend of mine. And after a while where I was leading the church, he said in the context of like me not doing things he wanted to do, he said, if things don't change, then things are going to change with us. And he goes, every string or every gift comes with strings attached. I was like, Oh my, like, what is wrong with you? Who would say that kind of stuff? And you go, this is the kind of stuff that does happen. Not just, I've done things not intentionally that I think could probably have the same like heartbreaking effect on someone else. And you got to incorporate all that into understanding who God is. Yes. So, so we, there's more Bibles than ever before, more podcasts, right, than ever before. We have more access to God material and information than ever before. But it seems like there's this move, this groundswell among Christians and all tribes uh, and all nations of sort of reclaiming this image of God as revealed in Jesus. So my question, Luke, is do you have thoughts about how we got so far afield from who God really is? Like, how did our expectations of God get so jacked up? Well, I mean, I think everyone has their own story about how they got where they are. And by everyone, I mean like every different tradition and every different tribe of Christianity and every denomination has their own story. And so I can speak to my own story and my own, you know, my own tradition, uh, maybe more, more directly, but I think as a general thing, I mean, we're all trying to make sense of something that we don't ever see. Like we have never seen God in the flesh. We have never actually heard an audible voice from God in the way that Moses did, yes. most likely. And so what we're doing is we're taking bits and pieces of tradition, of reason, of history, of scripture, and trying to pull that all together. And so how we got here, yeah, like it, it seems like, this whole thing about it's God is Jesus. Whatever Jesus is, is God. I mean, that, that seems pretty straightforward, but anyone who's ever worked in a church knows there's so many letters to everything. Yeah. There's so many letters to it. Um, so like in my own tradition, there's some churches that have this idea that there was a white tablecloth that went over the Eucharist sacraments, communion, Lord's supper, whatever you want to call it. And that that white cloth had this, like this, this sacred task that was ordained by the, early leaders of the church. And someone's like, well, no, we've been doing that for like two decades because we don't have air conditioning and we let the windows open and the windows were open. We're letting the flies in, the flies were coming in and drinking the, the wine or the grape juice. And like, that's the kind of stuff that happens in church. Like you know, like that's a very like practical thing, but then we baptize and give it spiritual language. So I, I think 
human nature makes us very easy for us to to go off the rails if yes. if we don't practice the disciplines of staying true to to what's central. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's good, Luke. I, I I wonder also how like what what kind of effect does it have on our church culture when we believe that God is only present in the good. Right. So when like like we kind of have this belief that God shows up, great things happen. God's present on the mountaintop. God's present when um, the preacher preaches an amazing sermon. The band is killing it. The worship's great. Like everything's going well. But God isn't present in the desert. He isn't present in the pain. He isn't present in the hurt. And so we have this kind of philosophy of God showed up. And so good things are happening. Um, rather than being present to God in all of life. And, and I wonder what effect that has on our church cultures. Well, I, I think there are certain moments when, when it's easy to be aware of the presence of God. And you know, we see this in, in, in Christian music where it's like, oh, I really felt the spirit right there. Mm-hmm. Like what part? Oh, you know that part of the song? You know where the, I'm like, you mean the dramatic key change? Like when, <laughs> when the key changes, all of a sudden, that's when God's spirit shows up. Like that's a key yeah. for God. Yeah, the Jesus, and, the Jesus tinglies, man. The, the exactly. smoke, smoke came up behind him. Boom. When the smoke comes up, and you know, when, when the, the preacher tells the really dramatic story about his personal life and adversity, like I, I get those are human emotions in which we sense something transcendent in an easier way. I think what becomes really caustic and, and, and damning in the, the long-term sense is when we relegate God just to those moments. And what happens is, is we feel like God isn't with us if we're not getting good circumstances. And I had a friend once who lived in the shadow of a, or his church was in the shadows of a big TV preachers kind of empire and a disenfranchised parishioner went to his church from TV preachers church. And when asked why they made the switch, she said, because I'm just not getting the blessings that I need. And so maybe I feel like if I, if I got to change, then maybe I would get more blessings. And so this person was connecting that God's present in their life. If they get raised at work, if their kids are always healthy, if they get a new car. Yeah. And what happens is you kind of miss the fact that the story of the incarnation is that, that God steps into the darkness and that God is present with us in the darkness. It's not just that God eradicates all darkness in this present age, which I, I have hope that it will happen in the future. But in the present age, that that God is with us in that. And so when we experience darkness, we feel that we are distant from God because God has abandoned us, that God isn't present with us. And so not only and, and so it becomes a double down. Like not only do we experience the adversity on, on one level, on top of that, the second level is we feel shame because God has also abandoned us, yes. or that we feel we have stepped away from God. And so not only do you experience the tragedy, you have a secondary spiritual tragedy when you feel like you're doing this and God is against you. Yes. Oh, man. So those two things you mentioned, like God doesn't speak to us like, you know, our great uncle Larry, who gives us uh, really good presence. And, and, and when bad things happen, we, we intuit or interpret that as God being distant. These are the two main things that my 10-year-old tells me all the time. Dad, I I can talk to you, but when I talk to God, I don't hear him like I hear you. And I tell him, like, God is present and at work in your life. Uh, And and in your your seat mate, like in your table mate, you know, him acting like a jackrabbit, like him annoying you, God's present and at work there. And and Deacon, my son, is just like, I I, I don't get that. So what you're describing is hard for 40-year-olds, but it's it's also like one of the things a 10-year-old is asking questions about. So I, I think we're getting into the heart of 
like yeah. where our crisis lies or where where the opportunity is. Yeah, I, I think some problems don't become more profound as you age, but they just have more layers to them. It, it's the same question. That's why a ten year old can ask a question, and it'd be the same question that a thirty seven or forty year old or a six year old has. The, yeah. the questions, in some ways get different layers to them, but they're still the same foundational questions that I, and I think that speaks to like, this is the human predicament that we have to wrestle with these things. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that we train people in then is like, as you're going through this uh, disorientation and reorientation in how your constructs, right? Your frames. So God shows up to God is always present at work is a paradigm shift, right? It's a different way of inhabiting the world. And you do some work in your in your book, Luke, about how practices carry us through seasons of doubt and disorientation. Can you maybe yeah. share how pra- like spiritual practices have helped bridge these uh, chasms for you? Yeah. So I had a, a friend of mine who's uh, been doing this preaching game a few decades longer than me, and he's got a son who's seven or eight years younger than me, or maybe five years younger than me, and. Years before, his middle child uh, passed away at the age of 12. And then a year year or so later, his nephew passes away. And then fast forward six or seven more years, and then his youngest son is in a car accident where my friend is the pastor. And there's a church van coming back from Dallas to West Texas. The van crashes. The kid next to pastor's son passes away. Pastor's son is life flighted from West Texas to the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Doesn't know if his son's going to make it. Spends all his time in the uh, the ICU. Comes through. He's doing great now. But he's experienced tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And he has said to me, even on my podcast, I think he said this publicly, that there are times during that season when his son was in the ICU that the only time he was able to pray was Sunday morning on stage when he was leading the church mm. and he's leading a church of 2000 people. And there's something about those practices that, that when life pulls us away from like, feeling like it's easy to pray or feeling like it's easy to express gratitude that practice say, even when I don't want to do this, this is who I've committed to be. And so I, I, I tell a story about um, in my book about uh, this guy named Jason, Jason Pran's his name. And so when I get to college, I'm a walk on the track team. And this is a high-level track team. There's four people I ran with that were in the Olympics in Atlanta. And so there's some high-level people. One of those high-level people was Jason. Jason won, I think, four national championships in the hardest track race that there is, the hardest event track, which is the 40-meter hurdles. And so I get into the track one, or to the field house one Friday. It's the fall. It's the off-season for track. And he says, look around. And so this is Jason Brandt. So I do whatever Jason says. He says, look around. So I look around. The, the field house is sparsely populated. Most people have gone out. They want to go do their Friday thing. It's off season. Who cares for, you know, random Friday afternoon wait session. And he says, look at this, Luke. This is the difference between being an all American and a national champion. This is the difference of being good to being great. And what he's saying is that there are times that you don't want to put the work in. And that's the difference of just being okay and being exceptional. Mm. I think in faith, I don't think we earn levels like you don't make of an all American in faith. But what I do think is when you have practices of showing up on Friday afternoons, when you want to go, go out and do your thing with your friends, but you, you stay committed to what you're committed to being and you stay committed to who you want to become that 
that something happens, that, that spirituality is this thing that there is this participatory element to our spiritual life. It's not that we earn favor with God. It's not that we, we earn God's love or we get in, but spirituality requires us to be committed to this way of life yeah. that Jesus has this thing. I think it's in Mark's gospel where unlike the other ones where Jesus says, you must deny yourself and carry your cross. He adds the phrase or the word daily. Like th- this is a, a, a daily choice that we all have to make. And I think if you want to be awake and aware to what God is doing in the world, you have to make these daily decisions to, to stay in, in tune to God because there are plenty of things that are telling you day in and day out that you should tune out. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me about Jason's story and the, the necessity or centrality of practices is that, you know, in, in modernity, we are sort of in bondage to our feelings. And so we, we have okay. an over-attachment to if I feel it, it's genuine and authentic yeah. and true. And if I don't feel it, it's inauthentic and untrue and, and somehow like false, right? So we let feelings be our leaders. And, and like J- what Jason was telling you is, you know, you might not feel like being here, but you give yeah. yourself over to this practice because you have a vision of the good and your feelings need to get saved into that vision. Yeah, yeah, right? I agree. And, and, and so there are some people who would critique the the fake it till you make it attitude about marriage. Like if you don't mm-hmm. feel like loving your wife or you don't feel like loving your, your spouse, then don't do anything nice for them. And you're never going to feel your way out of that. But mm-hmm. somehow in doing the, the practices of, okay, I'm going to bring flowers or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to vacuum the floor or I'm going to do the dishes or I'm going to take them to their favorite place to eat. Somehow in those practices that we remind ourselves what we really are committed to. Yeah. And when we elevate our feelings, we become like, uh, you know, like a ship at sea with, with no rudder or no sail. Like you just get tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. Yes. Yeah. So it's not, so here's, here's the thing that we try to talk about and tease out because I think we have two ditches, right? We either get led around by our feelings or in the Christian world, we kind of kill our feelings and shut off our heart. You know what I mean? Like kind of go at the stoic, the stoic sort of like rigid sort of externalization. But, uh, there's a sense in which fake it till you make it is part, is part of it, but really it's face it. Like you got to face the fact I don't want to be married today, you know, and just own it. And then like, what am I going to do with that? You know, and inside the covenant of marriage, uh, the three of us, congratulations, gentlemen, have decided to stay married and to to, to separate people, right. not yeah. to each other, not to each other, not to the three of us. Right. right. I just yeah. met Luke just now. <laughs> yeah, I you're mean, really Luke, nice, Luke. You're but. a great guy, and maybe maybe 17 years ago it would have worked out, but I'm married. Uh, no, so there's like there's a sense of like uh, inside the commitment, the practices that that hold the commitment together. Uh, the the right desire, the right posture is formed. Yeah, one hundred percent agree with that. And this, yeah, I, I think there's yeah. something formative about that. There's a story. Uh, Max Bierman tells a story about a, a guy named the Happy Hypocrite. Or the story's called the Happy Hypocrite, and it's about this guy named George Lord. And uh, long story short, he's a bad dude. Falls in love with this woman. She only will marry a person who has the face of a saint. And so he goes to a mask shop and puts on this mask that is the mask of a of a saint. And so he starts to act like a, a saint because he's married to this girl that he 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 loves. And he's fallen in love, and eventually his ex girlfriend shows up, rip, rips his mask off, and she's celebrating because his new wife is going to turn on him because now she sees what his true face is, and she turns around, sees him for the first time, and says, George why do you wear a mask of your own countenance? 
because at work, there was some formative practice. I was changing who he was as he started to live into what he wanted to become. And I think that's the spirit at work in us. Like you face what you don't want to be. You you fake it till you make it. You, You commit to these practices and these practices have a way of God opening yourself up to God's spirit forming you. Yeah. And that may be one of the gifts of suffering is that like suffering, there's a reckoning with suffering. You know, we can no longer wow. pretend about things or or yep. ignore things because it it hits us dead between the eyes. Yep, and that's that's part yeah. of our story. It's part of your story. Um, yeah, Luke, this has been awesome, man. We so deeply appreciate the work you're doing in Texas, uh, not only fracking for oil, but this book and and uh, the work you're doing to sort of uh, we we just find that this there's there's I don't know there's some sort of cultural moment. I don't know if you sense this too. That's uh, that doesn't. It's not. It's not existing in a certain tribe, or in a ghetto. But it's like spreading out among like Lutherans and Methodists and all over the place to to bring together a spirituality that's robust enough to endure suffering, to endure the challenges we face in a modern world. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's great to it's great to link arms with you in that. Yeah, well, my it's definitely it's definitely my pleasure talking with y'all. I, I appreciate what you guys are doing, and and that's definitely been my experience. Uh, so I've been doing a podcast for for a little while now, a couple hundred episodes. I think I don't know the number. It's over three hundred at this point for sure. Um, but one of the things I found is that I've got this network of people that I've become connected to from all over the world that don't just come from my Church of Christ background. They don't just come from Baptist background. Um, they're not just Protestants. They're you know they're not just Catholics. But there is there's something I think in this age in which people have more connection to each other. So some of the old silos of, Oh, well, you know, I'm Lutheran and you're Methodist. So I want nothing to do with you are are being jettisoned. And I think that's a healthy thing. Like one of the best things about my church is where the Episcopal church next door ran out of, like they had a construction problem. And so they came over and had service with us one Sunday, like Episcopal priest and me co-preach in a church of Christ church, which was, mind-blowing we're, we're gonna have it's not fully announced yet so just don't tell it it's yep. just our secret yep. but the um the service in which they appoint one of the new like bishops of texas is going to happen in our building because we have such a good relationship that we're just like yeah we, we have got a bigger room than you come over use our room and we're we're, we're honored to serve you guys yeah. and I, I think like we see this because people are realizing okay we we, we don't need to like other you because yeah you have some different nuances in how you do faith, but we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's a deep intuition right now, a deep desire for that. So yeah. may your tribe increase. We, we're glad that you are uh, took some time out. Uh, you kicked your daughter out of her room. Yes, yeah, go, I did. Yeah, go enjoy her and enjoy your day, Luke. God bless you, man. Right on. Thank you. Thanks for the time, Thanks, guys. Man. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.